this. Do you believe in UFOs, astral projections, mental telepathy, ESP, clairvoyance, spirit photography, telekinetic movement, full trance mediums, the Loch Ness Monster, and the theory of Atlantis? Um, if there's a steady paycheck in it, I'll believe anything you say. The dead rising from the grave. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, Hold it. Now we're actually going to go before a federal judge and say that some moldy Babylonian god is going to drop in on Central Park West and start tearing up the city. Mary, not that alone. Yeah, think of it. When someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1984 film, Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we are joined by a very special guest. You know who he is because we've been talking about him all week, and he's here to join us for a very special Winston's Day, Winston <laughs> episode, spectacular. Brad from Cosmic Geppetto Podcast. Brad, how are you doing today? I, I am. Uh, I'm very excited. I'm ready. I'm wearing my Ghostbusters Minute t-shirt. I am drinking a oh, screwdriver nice. made from a uh, uh, crystal head vodka. Uh, the bottle signed by Dan Aykroyd. So I, I am in the. I am in the oh, moment. Really? Yeah. How did you get a bottle signed by Dan Aykroyd? He was doing a signing at a liquor store not too far from where I worked, and uh, we, uh, me, my wife, and some coworkers went and got the autographs, and it was uh, it was very cool. A huge line, and there was actually a gentleman there, who. Drove up in his own personal Ecto-1, was wearing the full gear, was handing out cards. Uh, I wish I still had it. This was oh, this must have been seven, eight years ago. He was handing out cards, uh, promoting his website, which he called the Premier Ghostbusters Universe Trivia website in the North Atlantic. <laughs> like, well, that's that's specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it was very cool, and, uh, you know, Mr. Ackroyd was... Uh, he had a huge crowd, so he couldn't chat too much, but uh, he, he was uh, very cordial. Uh, he did seem to be really pleased when somebody ahead of us had the movie Nothing But Trouble, the DVD, for him to sign. Oh, oh my wow. gosh. <laughs> which, which was a terrible movie, but it was one that he directed, so I think there was some, uh, some fondness from him for that movie. That's cool. Yeah, I, I mentioned at some point he gets as much as he loves Ghostbusters, you know, and it's kind of probably the breadwinner for him. At some point, he probably gets sick of just talking about that. So it's nice to kind of throw in a nothing but trouble or my stepmom is an alien or something like that. So. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Brad, it's a horrible movie. It's a horrible. It's it's maybe not as bad as Nothing But Trouble, but uh, Nothing But Trouble is just such a weird, bizarre movie. Did it's he direct that? Strange. Well, at least that was interesting, terrible. My stepmother as an alien was yes. just hacky, terrible. Yes, yes. No, there, there's definitely something. I mean, um, uh, Nothing But Trouble has a lot of really weird uh, it, it, and very interesting, like, set design. And the concept is so bizarre, like, this town that's ruled by a judge. And, uh, yeah, it's um, – if folks, if, you've ha if you haven't seen Nothing But Trouble, I would say do yourself a favor and go see it. But really, you know, um, mileage may vary on how much you <laughs> enjoy that movie. So, um, well, Brad, we've, been, we've talked a lot about Cosmic Geppetto on the show. Brady and I have been on the show. We were guests on your show for your uh, 90s trivia or 90s uh, best of the 90s challenge uh, doing Pinky and the Brain versus Ren and Stimpy. But for the folks out there that maybe haven't heard 
Cosmic Geppetto yet or don't know who you are, uh, can you just introduce yourself real quick and, and tell us about your podcast? Sure. Um, we've been doing it for a little less than a year, and it was funny. When it originally started, it was going to be – it was actually called Movies That Marvel when it, we first started because it was going to be me and some like-minded friends talking about the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it was amazing how quickly we deviated from that concept – and we start talking about music, uh, DC movies. Also, we start talking about James Bond movies, and we realize that the concept behind it was too limiting. So we uh, we expanded the concept. We changed the name to Cosmic Geppetto, and now it's more of a general uh, pop culture podcast. And we've been able to do some really cool stuff and just have some amazing guests. Uh, you know, uh, Kyle, you've been on three times, and uh, yes, you've always been right. bringing your A game. Uh, you, you, uh, once with Brady, and uh, twice with your. Uh, lovely wife Kathleen, who's fantastic as well, um, and then we've even gotten um, some really cool people. The most recent episode had uh, Richard Lloyd, and if there's anybody who's a fan of really good music from the '70s or '80s or '90s, Richard Lloyd was the guitarist for an iconic punk band, Television. Oh no way! Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. He was just on. It was uh, it was terrifying because uh, I'm, I'm a huge admirer of his from his work with Matthew Sweet from the 90s. Yeah, he was yeah. one of the guitarists from uh, Girlfriend and 100% Fun. So this was, this is guy's really legit uh, uh, guitar god royalty. Um, so we've been able to do such cool different stuff. And, um, you know, Kyle, you've been on twice to talk about uh, Preacher on two of our best episodes. And oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, and uh, it's just been neat. It's very different from what you guys do. You guys do this really great, tight show, and it's daily, and it's fantastic content. Uh, Cosmic Geppetto, we sort of, um, you know, it's a bit more meandering. We try to keep it well-paced, but there are longer episodes, and we try to keep it weekly. And a lot of editing, a lot of music. Um, you're just trying to sort of have... a. a interesting conversational fun feel to it with a lot of great guests from all walks of life on the show yeah one thing i really like about cosmic geppetto is the conversational aspect of it it sounds like uh hearing people who are deeply passionate about stuff but also very uh intelligent and able to articulate what their passion is like your co-host jarf uh every week when he's on you guys kind of talk about whatever's going on in the news i think you guys on um the episode that Brittany and i were on talked about the tick the new Amazon TV show pilot that came out, The Tick. And it's it's like sitting at a coffee shop hearing two people that know what they're talking about and aren't messing up, having an interesting, uh, entertaining conversation about it. So uh, whenever I put on Cosmic Geppetto, I, I know I'm always in for something great, but it, it's also kind of, there's a voyeuristic aspect to it too. Whereas I'm just sitting here at the comic shop or at a coffee shop hearing people just kind of talk. And when the conversation meanders into other stuff, it's always interesting territory. Recently you had a young woman on, uh, who was a big Harry Potter fan, who I think powered through the Harry Potter and the Cursed Child play and had some things to say about it that uh, were really interesting. I think she compared it to, well, her initial idea um, of when she heard about it, it sounded like bad fan fiction to her, I think was the way she described it. Yes. Uh, she, uh, the young woman's name is Katie, who was a huge Harry Potter fan. She owns three wands. And she was so excited about the, the new book, which was uh, basically a, a novelization, ostensibly a novelization of the the play that's been going on in uh, England and she just and it pained her that she didn't like the that she did not like the new book so it was a great conversation yeah, yeah. so tell us a little bit about your I know that when we talked to you originally uh, when Kathleen my wife and I were on your show 
Uh, I said, this is a lot of fun. We've got to have Brad on uh, Ghostbusters Minute to talk about Ghostbusters. And you specifically told me, like, I don't want to be on until Winston shows up. And I thought that was kind of curious. And the more that Brady and I have gotten into the Ghostbusters um, uh, kind of like fan side of everything, we've started to see a real love for the Winston Zedmore character, which is uh, you know kind of cool because he, sh- he shows up like over 30 minutes into the movie. Um, but tell me, what is it about the Winston character that attracted you to him or why is he an important aspect of the story to you? Well, he's he's the guy that you can sort of – see the rest of the Ghostbusters through. The the other characters are so zany in different ways. Egon being this hyper-intelligent, almost uh, uh, Vulcan-like character. Um, uh, Peter Venkman, who's, you know, the wiseacre who's smarter than the room. Uh, it, you know, and you have Dan Aykroyd's character who's, you know, this lovable man-child who's also a little too smart for the room. And they're all can be a little cartoonish in in a great way, and uh, Winston was uh, he's just a guy who's this is just a job for him, and he just wants to get paid, and he, you know he's also often the voice of reason. So it, it, it it's a great way to get yourself into the characters. Also, the fact that the fact that he can communicate with the rest of the was the rest of the groups and he's cool with them means oh okay even though they're too smart or too smarmy or uh too weird uh they can still relate to normal guys and they can you know banter with winston and smoke a cigarette have a drink with them and that makes you know it 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 gave some relatability to the rest of the characters yeah he really does have one foot in their world and one foot in the you know other the more realistic world and sometimes the way that you see him interacting with other people in situations, it's, it, it's uh, I don't know, it's real. It's not just played for laughs. Like when he says, look, I got to get my own lawyer. That's like a realistic thing that would happen. I know I would probably want to distance myself from these guys. Not necessarily distance myself from them, but that's not something that any other movie, especially a comedy, would address. Is uh, some, someone that would have that much concern, you know? Yeah, and you know, I also uh, I'm an Ernie Hudson fan. I love mm-hmm. career supporting actors, and Ernie Hudson's one of these actors who's been around forever, and he, he's hardly ever the lead. And if he's the lead, it's a B movie. But he did such um, likable, engaging work in uh, Hand That Rocks the Cradle, uh, The Crow. Um, yeah. uh, he had a recurring role towards the end of Law and Order, and he's always the guy that y- if you see him, you know, oh, okay. I know he's the good guy. I know that the people that are on his side are the people that I'm supposed to be rooting for. And uh, you know, he's just done a great job with that his entire career. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the performances that I really loved was him in uh, Congo, which Congo, oh, yeah. fantastic book, not so great of a movie, but his scenery-chewing performance, if you will, as the kind of the game warden who takes them into Africa and kind of helps them to get into the jungle. I was like, oh, this guy's really cool. You know, yeah, he- I, I, he exists really well in that movie. He's yeah. um, just a little cartoony like the movie, you know, so he really brings his game face and uh, you can tell he's having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, he has a lot of swagger in the role and he's also kind of a badass at the same time. But um, I'm really excited because he is going to be in the Twin Peaks relaunch that's coming out is next he? year. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, wow. at least in the first episode. I don't know if he's going to be on it past that, but uh, to see Ernie Hudson as a returning character in you know the Black Lodge would be awesome. So there's something else about him too um, that you you got to hand it to him for is uh, he has a real genuine pride for being a Ghostbuster. 
Yeah. And his mm-hmm. affiliation with it and the fact that he's so in touch with the fans and is always, a, you know, he's always around when there's a convention or something like that. So you know that this guy has a real affection uh, and an appreciation for, for what did a lot for his career. And uh, there's a lot to be said about that. There's yeah. also something, uh, and I also love this, the, the production story behind the Winston character, and it's something that you guys, I believe, have touched on before, where that role was originally written for uh, Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Correct, yes. Yeah, originally the character's name was Ramsey, and I believe in the first copy, or the first uh, draft of the script, when it was still called Ghost Smashers, Dan Aykroyd was writing the character Ramsey with Eddie Murphy in mind. As the lead character, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, it makes sense because, you know, Eddie Murphy, huge at the time, you know, would have fit into that cast, uh, the original cast, John Candy, John Belushi, you know, like, and Eddie Murphy. I could, I mean, just imagine what that movie would have been like. It would have been crazy, even though the original Ghostbusters uh, Smashers script was a little strange. I think those guys together could have been real magical. It, it would have been really interesting, and you could hear, and I... I I've heard Ernie Hudson in interviews uh, have some disappointment because when he first read the script, he was still reading the Winston is a huge part of the the story script. That's right. Yes. And you could still hear in some of the lines the the a little bit later when he says, uh, you know, tell him about the Twinkie. You could almost hear Eddie Murphy saying that you could tell that these, some of these were lines that were made for Eddie Murphy. Right. Um, yeah. And. It was uh, it was just interesting. Sometimes I hear it, and I was like, I wonder just what how much of a different movie it would have been. And uh, what's interesting is when this uh, Ghostbusters, the year it came out, uh, it was the number one movie of that year, and number two was Eddie Murphy's Beverly Hills Cop, which was the movie, I mean, he was already a star, but it was the one that made him just one of the biggest stars on the planet. Oh, yeah, and imagine if he had been in Ghostbusters. I mean, how much bigger of a movie it would have been, but uh, that's crazy crazy that it worked out that way but um all right guys well if you want to go ahead and get into it we'll because uh, it sounds like we got a lot of winston trivia i, I want to i, I want to say one thing um yeah because i know i'm gonna forget and it's uh kind of off topic but um so ghostbusters is a comedy horror and there are occasionally things in the movies that part one and part two uh that are kind of eerie and everything but for the most part it's kind of spooky funny but there is a part in Ghostbusters 2, that is one of the most eerie things I have ever seen in a film, period. And it's when Ray and Egon and Winston are in the abandoned train tracks, and they're calling out the echoes. Uh, Like, they'll say, hey, and you hear an echo back, and Egon will do it, hello, like that. And then Winston says his, and there's no echo. Yeah. And that gives me the creeps. And sure, you hear his name come back, like, out later or whatever, but the fact that there's no echo for him is one of the eeriest ideas ever for me it, it's easy to forget because we've seen these move these movies so many times and you know you're waiting for the jokes uh i remember seeing this movie in the theater and you know i i, uh, I was pro- i was 10 years old at the time so young enough where i could really still be scared by a movie and i remember seeing the movie with my parents and i would elbow my mom during the scary scenes like when uh, the first time you see uh zool um, or, or some of the other scarier scenes where the anticipation, and I would elbow my mom. It's like mom lean forward. She would lean forward in her seat, and then I would hide my uh, little ten year old head between <laughs> uh, my mom's back and the seat because Aww. it was legit scary stuff. Now you know, as a, remembering this is the eyes of a ten year old, but you know these actors are so iconic now, and the, you know it's a comedy. But at the time, it was a it was a scarier movie. 
than people give it credit for because, uh, you know, at that point, you know, Bill Murray, these were known comedic factors, but they weren't quite the icons that they are now. And uh, you didn't really know what you were getting into. And they really played a lot of the stuff for legit scares. And then with the laughs rate afterwards, which made it so effective. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's, um, I, I, like like Brady was saying, I, I, that that scene there, the the train tracks in the second movie is is so scary. I remember seeing it in the theater myself and being quite frightened of it at the time. But yeah, I think that when we, you know, we, when you watch Ghostbusters, it's you're you, like you said, you're waiting for the jokes. You've already said them to yourselves in your head. You know, you're you're waiting to just have that call and response aspect with the movie. It's very easy to say like, oh, this is just a silly movie. But uh, yeah, for for the time, there was really nothing like this out there. This was. You know, there was an avalanche of 1984, 1985, like, effects-driven, like, horror-type movies uh, that kind of used the same. I think Effects House, even, like, Poltergeist yeah. was the same effects company uh, that kind of, you know, teeter-totter on this, like, you know, uh, whimsical but yet also scary-type aspect that we don't have anymore. And it's almost like a crapshoot when you were younger going in to see one of these movies. Is it going to be funny? Is it going to be scary? Is it going to touch me like E.T.? I don't know. But, um Yeah. yeah. So I tell you what, if if you guys are ready, let's go ahead and jump into the let's minute. The only, the only reason I say that is because not a whole lot happens at this minute, and I know we have on the back end a lot more Winston trivia to go through. So uh, let's go ahead and, and just run through minute number forty-two of Ghostbusters. Now, in the previous minute, we just saw Janine interviewing Winston for a position with the Ghostbusters. When asked about his beliefs in the supernatural, Winston responded, "Lady, if there's a steady paycheck, I'll believe anything you say." At minute 42, Ray and Vinkman appear from the Ecto-1. Ray mentions that he has got to get some sleep. They both have splotches of dried slime in their jumpsuits. Vinkman tells Ray that he doesn't look good. At 42.10, the Ghostbusters approach Janine's desk where Winston is sitting. Janine is taking multiple calls at once. Janine introduces Winston to Ray and Vinkman. Ray hires him on the spot and introduces him to Vinkman. At minute 42.29, Winston walks over to Ray, who immediately hands him two smoking ghost traps and says, Welcome aboard! At 42.33, we cut to a shot of Dana Barrett leaving the symphony. Dana is complaining about a guest conductor who her friend is agreeing maybe doesn't have the chops to conduct in the New York Philharmonic. At 42.45, we cut to a shot of Peter Venkman dancing around the water fountain outside of the New York Philharmonic, waiting for Dana to emerge from the concert hall. Dana asks her friend to wait a minute, and she approaches Venkman. At 42.50, Dana walks over to Venkman and tells him that just seeing him is a wonderful surprise. And thus ends minute number 42. Now, like I said... There's not really a whole lot going on in this minute, not packed with dialogue or interesting stuff like the last previous couple of minutes has been as we've gone through the montage and just wrapped that up. Uh, and there are a lot of long, long shots in this minute. I think that when Ray and Vinkman step out of the Ecto-1 and approach Janine's desk, that's like a, a 10 second long shot of just the two of them kind of like just, you know, looking at each other, exchanging glances and saying like, yeah, you don't look well, you don't look well. And Winston is just sitting there at the desk. Later on, when uh, we have the shot of Dana and uh, her friend violinist walking out of the New York Philharmonic, they mentioned something about how the guest conductor isn't very good. And they're just standing there, like, looking around. And I think, Brady, you and I um, uh, found out in studying all this that there was a problem with the sound around the fountain. Yeah, that that's right. The guy who was on set for sound was kind of freaking out because the fountain was so loud that they figured they just have these like long shots and ADR, a lot of it in post. So in this scene, 
uh, into the next minute as well, there's a lot of just kind of standing around glancing at each other that they could put Foley audio in and maybe like turn down the sound of the fountains and stuff. So again, minute number 42, not a whole lot happens, but we do get the hiring of Winston Zedmore to the Ghostbusters, which is a very important point in this movie. So um, like we were saying earlier, Winston was originally a character called Ramsey in the Ghost Smashers script, and uh, his character actually had a little bit more of a background uh, for this movie. Uh, for example, he was an ex-military uh, guy who mm-hmm. served in the Vietnam War, uh, which they put in there because he would be brave enough that he wouldn't get scared away by ghosts that he saw. Uh, he was also a paramedic, meaning that he would be on call at any mi- at any given minute's notice, and he was also a uh, welder on a construction site. So we also have that he's, you know, kind of a tough, down-to-earth, blue-collar type guy. So we're introduced to all that stuff uh, in a scene which was cut out of the movie, which kind of gave Winston a little bit more background. So, Yeah, that's right. Um, and in the uh, Ghostbusters video game from 2009, it says that uh, Winston got a doctorate in Egyptology as well as uh, his marine background. So Yeah, I remember when I was playing that video game, there is a, um, a level where you have to go into a haunted, well, I guess it's like a New York uh, a museum or something like that, and you go through like a Civil War scene, and then the Civil War ghosts come to life, and you have to like, you know, wrestle them down, and the same thing for like an Egyptian exhibit, and Winston says that. He says, oh, while I was studying for my doctorate, I spent all my nights here in the museum, and as I was playing it, I was thinking about it, saying like, well, he didn't really act like a doctor in the movies. He acted just kind of like, you know, regular Joe off the street who's, you know, a, a ghostbuster. Like the, um, the, the, the definite end of the paranormal uh, uh, exterminator aspect. He was definitely the exterminator in, the, in that whole thing. So I guess in the interim between Ghostbusters 2 and the Ghostbusters video game, the idea is that he went and got a doctorate on Egyptology, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So um, did you know that in the original, on everything but the, ex- the, the final draft... Winston was the one who got, who conjured up the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Oh, really? Really? I didn't yes. know that. Yeah, actually, uh, Winston would have revealed that he roasted Stay Puft Marshmallows at his grandfather's smokehouse in North Carolina when he was a child. So, you know, when we talk about Ernie Hudson being upset, well, not upset, but a little bit disappointed with the amount of, uh, you know, pullback that Winston had from the, from the shooting script, I mean, it's understandable. He was... Uh, up until the final shooting draft, he was also a security guy for the company who was hired in to become a Ghostbuster. Huh. So, yeah. Um, There's and something... then I think. Oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. In the August 5th, 1983 draft, Winston was going to be one of the original Ghostbusters, but decided to have him join later to show that they needed help dealing with a rising number of spooks because of Gozer's impending arrival. So it makes sense that he's hired immediately after this montage of. A ramp up in ghost activity and a ramp up of the Ghostbusters not having enough manpower to deal with everything. Yeah. And, you know, it's also um, so uh, sure, you know, all of this stuff is coming uh, from the, you know, presence of Gozer and whatnot. But Winston is someone who provides an explanation that goes back even further than that in that this is the apocalypse that's going to happen. And when he's presenting this to Ray while they're in the car and one scene, Ray really takes it in and considers it in his... Uh, Reaction to it shows that there might be some credence to it all. So I think it's interesting that you could say all the events going on in Ghostbusters is the apocalypse brewing about to happen. I don't know. Maybe it's kind of a stretch, but it's uh, it was still a cool little touch. Kind of gave the movie a little bit of uh, edge. Right there. Yeah, and that actually that scene that they have in the car that was the audition for the Winston character too. Really? Yeah, that was that line of dialogue there. Well, it, it cool. showed well, he, he that... really sells it. Well, that scene especially, uh, and I know that you'll be covering that minute later, but it. it it shows sort of a, a philosophy that they have towards Winston where he's never portrayed as the dumb guy. 
he's yeah. never pro- right. He's he's sort of again. He's the voice of reason, and I'm glad that they didn't. Oh gosh, they didn't treat him like a stereotypical. Oh, this is the the dumb guy who comes in at the end, and we have to explain everything to him really slow no using gun. little words. Um, yeah. So it, it was. It's it, it a good character. It was. Um, you know, Winston was a really good character in this, and he didn't get a lot of love at the beginning because he. Um, when this movie came out, it would actually be joked about. I remember them be, being a Saturday Saturday Night Live bit where they were having like a Ghostbusters fan club, and they asked one of the women, "It's like, hey, who is your favorite Ghostbuster?" And she says, "The black one," and everybody laughed because it was so ridiculous that Winston would be the favorite Ghostbuster. But are you kidding think, me? Oh yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, but it. I think time has been very kind to his um, to that character and Ernie Hudson's portrayal of him. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I was really happy to see him show up as the well, spoiler alert, but the last cameo of the 2016 Ghostbusters that he was uh, Patty's uncle in and the dude, movie. Don't you know that of all the cameos that got uh, a big applause and things like that, Ernie Hudson got the biggest applause. For his, oh yeah, his, definitely. He showed up. I thought that was that said a lot about the way. Uh, Fans and people who are, you know, familiar with these characters and actors would react. And that's the one that they refer, you know, react to the highest. And, um, you know, I'm sorry, but that, that skit that you were just talking about on SNL, that's, nah, I got, I got no time for that. <laughs> yeah. Because that's, that's not just dissing the character, that's dissing the actor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's that's the real shame of the whole thing because he's a he's a fine actor. Yeah. And you know, uh, one thing I was I was hoping if we were to get another Ghostbusters movie, and I still have my fingers crossed that they do try to come back and make a sequel to the 2016 movie. I was hoping that maybe Ernie Hudson could come on, you know, in a role and be like the other guy at the Ghostbusters unit now, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so I still hold out hope for that. Although I know the box office returns haven't been really what Sony wanted for that, but um, you know, I um. I, I can't remember where I heard this, and I could very well just be making it up in my head, but I want to say that one of uh, Bill Murray was once asked, do you want to do a Ghostbusters 3? And this was one of the occasions where he was kind of leaning towards it, and he said one of the conditions I would have is that you would have to give more material to the Winston Zedmore character. Yeah, and I've heard that as well, And uh, but the story I heard it with was for the video game, that that was oh, one of yeah. the concessions he made, like, well, give Ernie a lot of lines, and of course, uh, Ernie Hudson, the, the Winston's a huge character in the game. Oh, yeah. You know, he gets his equal screen time to, to you know, to um, to Venkman or Egon or anybody. And it's cool to see, like, the one guy who's always kind of withdrawn from Ghostbusters publicly be the advocate for that. Right, uh, yeah. It also shows that Bill Murray, he does care about this property. You know, he does, and he cares about um, people that I think a, a lot of other people might, like, let's say the SNL cast, might just want to throw away. Right, so, right. Um, well, Brad, Brad what, what what are your feelings on Ghostbusters 2? Uh, I enjoyed Ghostbusters 2. It was, uh, it's tough. It was a really hard act to follow. It, it was, uh, right. because Ghostbusters, I think, surprised a lot of people. I don't think anyone really knew it was going to be the biggest movie of the year uh, when it came out, and they weren't able to, I feel, get... Uh, aside from the scenes you already talked about uh, with with the train, they weren't able to get the scary part quite um, as right as they wanted to, and it might have hurt them having a bad guy, because in the first Ghostbusters, there really wasn't until the very end you understand, oh, there's there's the bad guy, here's the the person they're fighting against, but you, that really didn't show up until right at the end. Um, so trying to incorporate, you know, have that villain throughout and it, it didn't quite connect as well, but you know, Bill Murray was so good and 
you know, Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2 were really the end point of that first part of Bill Murray's career where he was a really, really funny guy. And mm-hmm. then he started doing things a little off-center, and he, I think you guys even mentioned that he agreed to do Ghostbusters so he would have the chance to do Razor's Edge, which yeah. was his first yeah. serious role, and it didn't, uh, it didn't really connect as well, um, but it's, you sort of saw him getting tired of playing the smarmy, smarter-than-the-room guy. And, hey, you know, he, he has done some great work, you know, everything from Lost in Translation to Groundhog's Day to some of the neat cameo stuff he's done. And he's done some amazing work, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. But you do miss young Bill Murray. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, he was – and those four actors, those four Ghostbusters were fantastic. And it was also neat that they gave um, Rick Moranis – and Annie Potts, who are wonderful actors, uh, a little more to do. Yeah. And, it, you know, it was it, a hard act to follow, but if not for the comparison it had to Ghostbusters 1, I think it would you would really consider it a really solid movie. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, we, we kind of go back and forth on the show of stuff we like about it, stuff we don't. I think Brittany and I are both really big fans of Peter McNichol as Janosch, is a fantastic character, but you bring up a great point. Vigo is no gozer, and Vigo is definitely um, not interesting enough to hinge so much of the movie so early on. You know, uh, it's it's weird. Of all the things in the movie they followed, it's almost like you could lay the script for Ghostbusters 2 on top of the script of Ghostbusters 1, and you would have all the scenes the same, the cuts the same, where the characters show up the same, except for Vigo, who is a presence throughout the entire movie as an actual physical, you know, recognizable character. But um, one of the things that they did in Ghostbusters 2 that they copied from Ghostbusters 1 that I am not a fan of is the fact that Winston is is not present for the majority of the first third of the film. He, even though he is a hired Ghostbuster and he is in the first scene of the movie, he just kind of disappears and doesn't come back until much, much, much later in the film. Brady, do you think that that was a, a detriment to Ghostbusters 2 to keep Winston out for so long? Yeah, I do. I really do. I, I think that um, it's like you were saying a few minutes ago, Brad. Uh, Winston is one step ahead of the other guys, I think, socially, um, in that he's just a little more in touch with the way the world works. He's not the oddball like those guys are. Uh, so having him in there would have had a little bit more, um, I don't want to say more balance. It just would have, uh, uh, I don't know. A, a little more flavor. Yeah. A little yeah. more flavor than, than, than what we got. And don't get me wrong, I think what we got, you know, that's fine. But it um, having Winston there, one would have been a little bit more uh, well-roundedness to what's going on, as well as your four Ghostbusters. Everybody who's on the poster, everybody who was a hired part of the team and the company. You know, why? where, where is it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And the, 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 you, you bring up the poster, and that's something that irks me as a child was seeing the you know after the movie had come out you know and they were still putting out Ghostbusters product like I think but the there were some Ghostbusters video games that came out like after the movie was out and it was still just 
you know, Egon, Ray, and Venkman on the cover of these things. And maybe, I want to say I even saw one with Sigourney Weaver on it in her Zool uh, dress at the very end. And Winston is nowhere on the cover to be found at all. Yeah. And I remember that bugging the hell out of me as a little kid, being like, wait, why are the only the three Ghostbusters? Does yeah. this only cover the first portion of the movie, or does it have the interesting action-packed half? You there know? is a podcast out there, I believe it's a Proton Charging, uh, or excuse me, Ghostbusters Interdimensional Crossrip uh, podcast that has a very good, very lengthy interview with Ernie Hudson, and he uh, he does address this, and I think he says that it was something that was contractual. It's it wasn't uh, it wasn't like they were just like okay, well here's our three big you know the big names right. of comedy right now. Who's this random guy, this actor that nobody's really heard of with them? Um, yeah, and you did and so, once Ghostbusters two came around, you did see Ernie Hudson on a lot of marketing stuff. Sometimes that's something that the studio has has figured out beforehand. I don't know if Brady if or Brad if y'all saw the other day, but um. A note, a studio note to Steven Spielberg on the title for Back to the Future uh, had gotten out. Did you guys happen to see that? No. Okay, so apparently one of the studio notes uh, for the title of Back to the Future was they wanted the movie to be called The Man from Pluto. What? Because they thought the name Back to the Future was a little bit too over crowds' heads. You know, this is the time where they like... You know, uh, studio executives fly from New York to Los Angeles and they, you know, fly over like Iowa or something like that. And they're like, oh, well, these people get off their tractors to go see our movies. They figured that Back to the Future was too cerebral. And that so the they, man from Pluto is, is that much better. They wanted them to insert the man from Pluto as a line several times into the movie, like the part where uh, the DeLorean crashes through the, the farm at the beginning. They wanted the little boy to be reading a magazine called The Man from Pluto. Then later on, when he's uh, trying to zap uh, McFly's, uh, uh, the elder McFly, I'm forgetting the name all of a sudden, uh, it, with the, the Van Halen song, mm-hmm. he wanted him to call himself Darth Vader, you know, the man from Pluto. These are actual lines that the studio executive had written in. But it makes me think that these are the kind of things where, you know, maybe they had a mock up of the four Ghostbusters there together and somebody, some studio executive trying to justify his job that he wasn't going to have in six months, you know, uh, in between bouts of cocaine, trips to the bathroom, said something like, we need to take this guy out of there. He wasn't on Saturday Night Live or Second City. People aren't going to know who he is. They're not going to go see our movie. So, it, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm, there's a lot of conjecture there on my part, but I'm just, you know, I could see something like that happening. It, it's amazing yeah. when you hear stories like that. It's amazing that decent movies ever come out. It, it really is a miracle. And we hear that time and again from people we know that are actually in the industry um, that, you know, it's it, sometimes when people get involved in a project, any script on the page looks like it could be a fantastic script. And then you get in and the director doesn't have the energy or, you know, I don't know, you hire like Rihanna to read the lines or something. And then she's just kind of like, you know, not really doesn't understand what she's doing. Uh, I was speaking specifically, uh, I was in a car with a guy working on Battleship one time, uh, the movie Battleship that came out a few years ago while it was shooting here in Baton Rouge. And uh, I was driving him somewhere and I asked him, hey, so, you know, so how does this movie look? Do you think it's going to be good? And he just kind of like let out this long sigh. And he kind of like touched his face and he said, son, we don't know if these things are ever going to be any good. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's really a miracle that anything comes together with all the money and all the ego that gets poured into it. When you have something like Ghostbusters that comes out, it comes out and it actually works. It's like, how did this happen? It was lightning in a bottle. Let's try to recreate it by taking the script from the first movie and rewriting it into another movie where we just have beat for beat what happens. And then when it doesn't fire off, you know, people try to, um, uh, you know, uh, their, their job is on the line, basically, if it doesn't recapture the magic from the first one. So, but yeah. Well, do you guys have any other notes here on Winston or anything? Uh, I don't have one on Winston, but one person that I would like to call out, the violinist. Uh, yes. <laughs> call him out. That actor, Timothy Carhart, I love pointing out uh, 
there was a book I read once called Hey, It's That Guy, which was all about uh, secondary actors that you recognize when you see them. And that guy, Timothy Carhart, yes. you've seen him a thousand times. And usually he's a serial killer or an abusive husband, possibly a pedophile, <laughs> or uh, he's done so many movies. He was, uh, you know, recurring characters on CSI, 24. Uh, he was uh, part of Sean Connery. Uh, pardon me. He was a crew member in uh, Hunt for Red October. Um, he was in Candyman, Beverly Hills Cop 3. And he's such a smarmy-looking guy, which, you know, good for him where he sort of took... He, he, he's able to land those roles because he was in 20 seconds of this movie, and I really wanted Bill Murray to walk over and punch him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, we were talking about him as part of kind of this uh, elitist group of bad guys, which are the villains before Gozer shows up, where it's like him, the hotel manager, Dean Yeager at the beginning, and he plays it just as well as actually probably even better than they do because even though he's got like a cold – which is no fault of his own. Like with him just kind of sniffling and stuff, you just you just want to go over and just like you punch him in the nose, you know? Uh, yeah, it was. It, and again, it, it shows the go. It shows the likability of uh, Bill Murray and the other characters. Where these smarmy bad and how well cast these smarmy bad guys were, because really none of them did anything wrong. Uh, and you've touched right. upon this, where yeah. you know the EPA agent, he's he's right. The Ghostbusters are terrible for what they're doing, and they're dangerous for what they're doing. The dean is right that you know Bankman is basically a game show host of a professor. He should be kicked out of the school, but because they're all so well cast and guys that you just want to slap around a little bit, you're rooting against them and rooting for the Ghostbusters for no real reason. Yeah. I feel sorry for them because they probably carry that out into their real lives, you know, that they're just that kind of person if they do it so well, you know. Uh, character actors are so good at what they do. One of my favorites is, um, oh, God, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's uh, fantastic. Who we've seen in he's, – he's like that – he's next level that guy. He should have you know been in I mean? a Ghostbusters movie. Where was I, he? For the- I'm surprised that he wasn't – I mean, how great would he have been in the, in the 2016 Ghostbusters oh, as some yeah. sort of like, you know, EPA agent from the, you know, current day or something? Yeah, yeah, he really should have been. That's a, a, a lost uh, opportunity. I heard an there. interview with him on the podcast I Was There Too, where he was talking yeah. about, I want to say Groundhog's Day. And uh, Have you ever heard that podcast? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, big fans. Yeah. And, you know, just, and when you hear him talk, he sounds like the nicest, sweetest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. And you just know that he's been antagonized by people out in public because he's played so many dirtbags. <laughs> you know, he made a film a couple of years ago called The Primary Instinct, where it was kind of like a concert film type thing where he would go and just kind of tell stories about – he's such a fantastic storyteller, but uh, you know, tell stories about working on Groundhog's Day and stuff like that. I still haven't seen it, but uh, everything I've heard, it's it's a real enjoyable film. So I don't know, Brady, maybe we can do that as like a Patreon episode, maybe? watch the Stephen Club Tobolowsky movie or something. So, uh, so real quick, um, yeah. do you guys know who voiced Winston on the cartoon? No, who? Uh, I, I, I could guess. Uh, no, you don't know. I, I know. Arsenio Hall. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, Arsenio Hall. Uh, that is crazy. That thought really? was funny, yeah. And another guy named Buster Jones later on, but I just think it's so funny that uh, Arsenio Hall is uh, part of Ghostbusters lore. You know, the Winston on the cartoon was a little bit different from the Winston in the movie. He did. He was a little bit more like the probably the Eddie Murphy character that they, he was silly, you know, like constantly slinging jokes and stuff like that. So I could see Arsenio Hall doing a voice like that well. 
Yeah. Where, where did yeah, that absolutely. fall in? Because Arsenio had that weird peak. where, And I remember when he was the biggest thing on the planet with his uh, talk show. And where was he... Was talk show happening when he did that? I am looking this up right now while we're talking about it. I'm not sure. Because you're right. The Arsenio Hall show was, it was, you, you didn't miss it if you wanted to be hip and cool back in like the late eighties, early nineties. Especially when uh, Bill Clinton was on playing his saxophone with his sunglasses on. Oh yes. Yeah. Maybe the coolest moment of anything ever. Okay. So he was doing the real Ghostbusters from 1986 to 1987. So he was on for one year. Uh, and then the Arsenio TV series started in 1997. No, that must be the Arsenio. Yeah, that's something else. Yeah, that's he, his, he that's had his a, talk he had show. A, um, he had a series afterwards. I remember that. Uh, well, anyway, okay. Well, uh, you guys got anything else? No, that's it. Um, I think uh, somewhere down the line, we'll probably. Uh, Winston has some bigger moments in uh, minutes further along in the movie, and I think we'll probably definitely be diving back into. Uh, the character and the performance whenever we come yes. around to it. No, I'm. Uh, I think I'm good. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I would say is, you know, thank you guys so much for having me on the show. Um, also, thank you for plugging um, our podcast, the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast. Um, and you've also been talking a lot. Where we've been doing a little fundraiser to get you guys some uh, extra ratings and reviews. Uh, I took a look yeah. at uh, iTunes, and you guys have uh, you guys have been getting some, which is fantastic. I'm glad your listeners have been stepping up for you. Um, originally, we were going to end it on uh, the end of this month, on the end of August. Uh, I would like to, if that's okay with you guys, push that back till the 15th of April to try Absolutely. to get the get that magic number of 50 reviews for you guys, because uh, your, your show deserves it. Yeah. Oh, please, by all means, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. No, we we, we definitely appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, talking a lot about us over there, and we try to drop a Cosmic Geppetto any chance we get here uh, because we're fans as well. You know, it's a it's it, the folks out there. If you haven't heard Cosmic Geppetto and and you just want to hear like intellectual discussion, which is also humorous about all sorts of topics, uh, please check out Cosmic Geppetto. It's it's always an intriguing and enlightening listening uh, to listen to. But uh, Brad, before we depart here, real quick, uh, I wanted to thank you for uh, actually recording a piece of music uh, that was inspired by Ghostbusters Minute uh, on a previous episode. And c- could you tell the audience out there uh, what, what, what it is I'm, I'm rambling on about here? Well, what happens is on the Cosmic Chipetta podcast, uh, we, we have a couple of uh, amateur musicians, and uh, some of whom are really good, and uh, we like to try to uh, incorporate new music into the show as often as possible. And... Uh, we have a couple of big fans of Ghostbusters Minute, and we had a we had a thought of uh, you know basically a quickie song came together, and it came together really well. Uh, a young woman, Amy Kenrup, who sings for a band called Midnight Drive, based out of Ohio, agreed to sing, and uh, we just debuted it on the episode you guys were on, and it turned out really well. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, I've already sent you guys the MP3, so you are uh, more than welcome to share it with your listeners whenever you, you you have the desire to do so. But it was, uh, uh, you know, we are like I say, we are big fans of your show. We have uh, we, we the, the 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 panelists associated with Cosmic Geppetto were all subscribed. I think a couple of the reviews for your show have come from us, so uh, we just <laughs> uh, we we uh, got a little bit inspired to do that. So uh, you know, we we we. A uh, little bit of trivia for you. Now, this song doesn't sound anything like 
Ghost, the Ghostbusters theme song. However, it is uh, comprised of many, pretty much the same chord progression that Ghostbusters was. So it was <laughs> inspired that way. That's awesome. I, well, I was listening to it, and I had no idea that this song was made up for the show. And as I was listening to it, I, I always enjoy the music that you play in Cosmic Geppetto, but I was, I was listening to it going like, this is this is this is really kind of perfect for the segment having Brady and I on. How did Brad find this? He must have like I just imagine you having like crates and crates of like LPs that you're going through of like indie rockers and stuff like that, trying to find the perfect music every week because everything's always so fitting. But uh, when you told me like, oh yeah, we recorded that for your show, I was like, oh well, we have to play it. So uh, we're gonna play it here at the end of the episode. So after we do our outro here in a minute, uh, folks, we're gonna follow in to the song. What's the title of the song? Uh, give me a minute. No, that's what it's called. Oh, give, oh, me, give me a minute. minute. <laughs> nice. Okay, give me a minute. So, folks, you're going to be hearing uh, Give Me a Minute here uh, after the end of the show. So, uh, again, Brad, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, uh, so, again, where can people find Cosmic Geppetto out there on the Internet? Uh, we're on iTunes or wherever else fine podcasts can be found. Our website is www.cosmicgeppetto.com. Great. And uh, can they follow you on Twitter as well? Yeah, uh, Cosmic underscore Geppetto is our uh, Twitter handle. Great. All right, Brad. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we really appreciate it. We'll have to have you on again in the future, maybe in a non-Winston minute where we can uh, chat some more about some other stuff Absolutely. involving the movie. So, Yeah, I'd be happy to yeah. do that. Awesome. Okay, well, great. And Brady, as always, thank you. I appreciate your presence. Woohoo! <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, thank you so much for joining us again for another episode of Ghostbusters Minute. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Thursday for episode, or excuse me, for minute 43. Thank you so much for joining us for our Winston Zedmore Winston's This Day special. Uh, we appreciate that. Maybe we'll have some more fun stuff like that in the future. So, uh, for Brad, for Brady, and for myself, we're here to remind you that death is but a door, time a window. We'll be back. Ghostbusters Minute is a fan supported podcast. To become a patron of Ghostbusters Minute and gain access to exclusive weekly bonus content, visit us at patreon.com slash gbminute. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at ghostbustersminute at gmail.com and visit us online at ghostbustersminute.com, facebook.com slash ghostbustersminute, twitter.com slash gbminute, and look us up on Instagram at ghostbustersminute. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audionautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.